Hello and welcome to the Tuesday, June 6th, 2023 episode of the musical universe of Professor Hurst. This is Craig W. Hurst, Emeritus Professor of Music, podcasting from my music bunker along with my faithful canine companion, Carmel the Wonder Dog, to share with you my latest musical interests and discoveries. I claim no special inside information about the latest or greatest music, nor do I know everything there is to know about music. What I am is a lover of music. I enjoy several genres of music, and I share with you what has currently caught my interest, old, new, outdated, and everything in between. Even old music is brand new if you have never heard it before. The universe of music is a vast one to enjoy. From my discussions, you might find something new to you and of interest to expand your own musical universe. I currently receive no compensation or motivation of any kind from any recording label, recording artist, or the estate of any performer or composer dead and gone to discuss their music and or recordings. Now with that out of the way, welcome to my musical universe. My guest today is jazz pianist, composer, and arranger John Thomas. John Thomas has played in festivals around the world and has performed with Charles Tolliver, Marquise Hill, Bruce Williams, Richie Goods, Jasmea Horn, and the Cleveland Jazz Orchestra, among many others. Thomas graduated from the New School for Jazz and Contemporary Music in 2015 and the Juilliard School in 2019. He has been a student to pianists Aaron Goldberg, Dan Nimmer, Aaron Parks, and Taylor Eidstein. In 2012, he was awarded the ASCAP Foundation Herb Alpert Young Jazz Composer Award and hosted a bi-weekly session at Smalls Jazz Club from 2015 to 2019. Born and raised in Cleveland, Ohio, he benefited from the city's wide range of jazz veterans and swing-rooted tradition. Sonically, his sound harkens to the creative influences he's adopted. Influences such as Kenny Kirkland, Wynton Kelly, and Mulgrew Miller are apparent muses and thus lend their sound to his style. It is my distinct pleasure to welcome to my musical universe, John Thomas. Hello, John. Hey, how you doing, man? I'm doing quite well, thank you. And it's uh, really wonderful to have the opportunity to speak with you and to have you as a guest uh, on uh, on my podcast today. Thank you. Thank you, man. I'm, I'm glad to be here. Very good. John, one of the things that I'm always interested in, but everybody I talk to is sort of their origin story, if you will. Oh. 
kind of the genesis of 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 how you got into music. And so my first question for you is who or what turned the light on for you? What turned you on to music? That's a very good question, man. Um, so there's two parts to that answer, right? There's okay. the uh, literal introduction, and then there's my own personal, uh, you know, emotional experience, right? Mm -hmm. So if we're talking about music in general, not jazz, just music in general. Right. Uh, the literal answer is uh, I had no choice and my mother made me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> my mom said, my mom, uh, uh, well, you know, this is a longer version of that story, but short, short version is, yeah, like, you know, my mom made me. Uh, I had two brothers and they also played a little bit. My brother already played trombone, the eldest. Uh -huh. uh, so she just got us all in a music program and, and we just kind of kept going from there. But the long answer is, and this is something I found out in 2018, uh -huh. my grandfather passed away and... I went to his funeral and at his funeral, they were playing all these recordings and I knew he sang a bit at church, but they were playing all these recordings of him singing. And this guy, I mean, talk about a voice. And I heard him sing when he was older, just not, you know, in his prime, you know, these are older recordings. I guess he used to sing on the radio and all these things. And the music school I went to, I found this out at my, my grandfather's funeral, the music school I went to, my father also went to, and my grandfather went to, and he had a good relationship with them. So much so, the only way we were able to go, we didn't have a lot of money, the only way we were able to go was that they uh, essentially provided us scholarships. I'll be darned. Because of the relationship they have with my grandfather, and then, you know, I got passed down through my father, and then, and I, you know, my father sang a bit too, but it's the same thing, kind of in church, and I just, you know, never uh -huh, really thought anything uh -huh, of it. Uh -huh really talked about it but yeah we went to that same music school and i had no idea wow so it was part of your legacy and your destiny yeah apparently so and I, then you know, the whole time my whole life i always i always thought like oh, okay i'm this uh anomaly i guess in a way in my family you know i'm and my brothers i'm the only full-time musician and, and my family in general i think i have maybe one great uncle who was a musician or something i've, I've never mm -hmm. met no one really talks about him much uh junior i think his name was but uh, yeah, so I just thought I was in this this anomaly, and it turns out, you know, I'm a part of this this very quiet lineage. <laughs> mm -hmm. No, that's but, very uh, cool. Yeah, yeah, it was a very interesting find. Yeah, I think it is. It's kind of it's kind of uh, funny when you you know if when you do a little family history work, you uh, and you, you find someone in your ancestry that yeah. uh, you know did something similar, or yeah. uh, you know, because my uh, my father played a little bit, you know, keyboards. And uh, I knew he had done some singing back when he was in college, oh. but he was not a, you know, he wasn't a professional musician or whatever. He was, you know, that sort of thing. But uh, yeah, so that's, that's kind of, that's really a great story. Yeah, we got, the, we have, we have the same story going on a little bit. Well, you know, I think, I think a lot of times we get into music uh and when i say we i'm very being very generalist here yeah. people that get into music are people that come from a musical environment yeah usually and that's you why know? i thought it was strange I, I i ended up you know really following it because i th that mm -hmm. wasn't really something talked about in my family and yeah besides well, see, the uh, solo at church you know when father and choir or something like that there, there wasn't you know any lineage i could speak of or anything yeah. 
abnormally musical about. Well, I know it's like in my with my family. Uh, you know, my mother my mother had a business degree, and my dad was a psychologist. Yeah. And uh, and so, like I said, they weren't necessarily musically inclined, but they loved music because they used to listen to it on the on the stereo, on the hi-fi, and then later the stereo all the time. And I, I guess I kind of got hooked into listening to lots of Broadway musicals and big band yeah. music and things like that, that, uh, that intrigue me. But, uh, but I will say this about my, my parents were always very supportive of my musical endeavors. So I guess that says something there, and in your case, with your mother making you, that's 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 hyper. Yeah, super yeah. Now, now I say it's, it's, it's uh, this is gonna exist hopefully forever. Let me yeah. clarify, because I always well, joke she made me, but she was very much so. Oh yeah, she, my mother's a sweetheart. But uh, I was so young, you know. You get into music lessons, you don't really have a say, you know. And I didn't, mm -hmm. I wasn't interested. She just put us in, you know. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, yeah, I don't want my mom to go back and hear this and be like, what? <laughs> what the amount of trouble you're going to give me in Craig? <laughs> yeah, think, okay. Oh, well, my. I well, would never do the end. Yeah, we don't want anybody getting in trouble, and especially <laughs> with our with our mothers. Uh, yeah. You know, although my mother did tell me, and see, I started out playing the, the organ. We had an organ at home, and, uh, and I would sit down and fool around. And one day she said to me, said, if you're going to play it, you're going to learn to play it right. Right. You know, so she insisted cool. I start taking lessons. And so anyway, that was kind of my start. But how about jazz? What are who or what turned you on to jazz? Jazz specifically. Yeah. There there are yeah, I mean I think like most Americans, uh, you know, nowadays there's a, you know, there's a big uh high school jazz program. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, I mean, just nationally, that's just kind of become a thing, you know. So, uh, you know, just a couple of schools I went to just had some high school jazz band classes. And that was my first time kind of touching the piano in that way. Mm -hmm. However, in terms of inspiration, there was a guy, I was at Bedford High School, mm -hmm. maybe around like 2007 or something. And there was this guy named uh, George Granville, mm -hmm. who's actually, you know, still a, a very inspirational pianist. Uh, plays a lot of gospel music, soul music. He's uh, over a really big church with like, I don't know, 30,000 something odd members north of mm. that. The, uh, the musical director called the Word Church over in Cleveland, Ohio. But George was a huge inspiration. He was about four years older than me. And here I was this, this freshman and all I did was really like, I could play like a handful of songs for just in church or something like that. You know, nothing mm -hmm. too cool. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know what improvisation was or anything like that really you know that mm -hmm. was a new concept and then i heard george and he had fantastic technique i mean still does but you know it's just like even for his age he was a bit of a prodigy so he would be flying up and down the piano and i was like man what is this guy how is this even possible mm -hmm. you know and then i found some uh some art tatum records or something i don't know what i did to find it because this is back in the day before spotify and all that mm -hmm. you know I and I, uh, I found some Art Tatum and some Oscar Peterson. I just tried to find the, the fastest playing I could. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is what this, that's what this guy is doing. Mm -hmm. uh, this is jazz stuff. And then I was obsessed with that. Uh, but I wouldn't say that's what got me in love. I think that's what got me fixated. What got me in love was uh, I, had an, I had an uncle that gave me some records. And uh, one of those records had Ella singing Mac the Knife on it. <laughs> yeah. 
version of that and uh and some Nat King Cole also. So okay. I really got in from the singers. Sure. And that that's when I fell in love, man. I probably wore I probably wore that thing out. Mm-hmm. I remember Ella just just taking it up and talking about all these people. I didn't know who it was. You know, she's talking about Suki Tyner and all these kind of I still don't know who that is. <laughs> but she was I could still remember. I could sing it if I wanted to embarrass myself. Mm-hmm. You know, I could sing every chorus when she once you forgets the words and all that. I played that out and I was about 13 years old. Mm-hmm. I played that thing out for, for months and months and months. It was a little compilation of pops and Ella and Yeah. Yeah, that was that uh, that live in Berlin album. I think is the one you're that uh, where Ella is singing "Mac the Knife" and she forgets yep. the lyrics, yep. Yep. so she live starts improvising the lyrics. Yep. And I love that when she uh, she sings the it, it, she sings uh, Louis Armstrong, and then she starts imitating him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the one. That's the recording. And I used to like to play that in. Uh, I used to like to play that record in my jazz history and appreciation class. Yeah when we would talk about uh, improvisation and I'd say, now here's a, a, a different kind of improvisation where she's making up lyrics as she's going along. Cause she's forgotten the original lyrics, but she makes it work. And then she throws in, you know, all this other stuff. And, and uh, yeah, it's a beautiful record. And the one where it's Ella and, and uh, Louis Armstrong. I mean, that's just awesome. Another one I've always loved, was it was an outtake actually that so that it got put up it was when uh, uh lewis armstrong is trying to teach lottie lenya how to sing mac the knife yeah. with the right feel because you know lottie lenya was was uh the wife of uh, um <laughs> now i can't remember who wrote mac the knife gosh darn it no, uh the composer uh, uh oh kurt vile Okay. Kurt Vile. He she was Kurt Vile's husband or wife. And uh and she was also a, a singer, you know, kind of in that ger- that German cabaret tradition. Okay. And there's this recording where where Louis Armstrong is is trying to teach her how to sing Mac the Knife with the kind of feeling that he would sing it. She keeps screwing it up and 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 he's of course the gentle and polite soul that he was. He'd say, no, 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 it's not like that. It's it's like this, you know, and, and he'd sing it again and then she'd go back. They do another take. I don't know if you could ever find that recording, but it's just uh, it's just great. It's really great. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I can see how that would that would that would turn you on. And and of course, Nat King Cole, uh, my favorite line, like <laughs> when I was I was down at the my the health club where I work out and. Uh, they had, I don't know what they had going on the sound system. And one of the guys in the locker room said to me, says, uh, say, hey, doc, what the heck is that that they're playing? And I'll say, I don't know, but it sh- it sure isn't Nat King Cole doing my sle- uh, sweet Lorraine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. So, yeah, well, that's that's interesting that you kind of, that what got it under your skin was, uh, oh, sorry, I'm sorry. My, my little dog here wants my attention. I'm just going to. What are you yeah. gonna do? Little dogs are like, you know, like like having a little girl or something like that. Yeah, and, you know, and she... if a little girl comes up to you and is like, "Daddy here," and hands you a banana and pretends it's a phone, you're gonna answer that. Banana. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, well, and I, I'd be the yeah. first to admit that I'm a sucker and a pushover for my dog. So, oh, 
she'll be okay. I just gave her a pat on the head and she'll go lay down now. But, but I, I find it interesting that it was vocalists that really got you turned on to jazz and uh, as well as, you know, good piano players like Oscar Peterson and Art Tatum. Yeah. Uh, but speaking of which, when you consider your own musical DNA, uh, who's part of that? Who's been the musicians that have helped formulate your personal musical DNA? That's a very, that's a very difficult question. Okay. <laughs> because well, uh, I never said they'd I, be I easy. Say, I would say it again. <laughs> I said, I never said they'd be easy. It did not. It said it would be easy. <laughs> you know, hey, that's fair. That's fair. Um, yeah, man. Coming to, <sighs> it's tough because there's so many people on the scene that have impacted me. Okay. Really? Um, but there's so many records that have also impacted me very greatly. Mm -hmm. So it's tough to boil it down to even just a handful of people. Okay. Um, I mean, just to, off the top of my head, man, I mean, I would say playing why I mean, there's so many records. I, I love Cedar Walton. I love Barry Harris. I love Bud Powell. Uh, mm -hmm. It always depends on the time too, you know. I, I'm really into Marcus Roberts right now, and mm -hmm. you know, when Marsalis has had such a big impact on the scene, and and uh, indirectly and kind of directly in my life, and then also from those records he had with his his other group, you know, and from the '80s and all that, just, right? And all those guys, those are those are huge influences, and then you know, Wynton Kelly and all these people that are like on the scene and in a personal level, man, there, there were some people that were, uh, very influential in my life. Um, mm -hmm. as far as their playing, I love the playing of Theo Hill when I first moved here. I didn't know jazz could be cool until I heard Theo Hill. Okay. <laughs> so Theo was a, I mean, just like everything you played and I just, I felt it like, you know, you, you really feel every note he's playing and you really feel a commitment to the music and the beat and it just wasn't a formulaic or it was it was analytical but not formulaic i'll put it like that mm -hmm. like he was in there just playing a bebop scale or something that i was taught at the time you know he was really digging into the records and and deconstructing and reconstructing what was happening in those and then making it sound uh really connected to the, the blues lineage and and, mm -hmm. and just like good feeling and, you know i didn't know jazz could be like that you know until i really heard theo so that was like pretty eye-opening for me mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um but yeah so these are just some of the people that really kind of sure matter. sure well you've done uh you've probably listened to uh, you know lots and lots and lots of people uh because you know and i i'm not gonna take words out of your mouth but i'll bet you would you would say that one of the important uh elements to becoming a good musician is do lots of listening and do lots of listening to lots of different people yeah, lots of active listening, and uh, but I think there should be more of a premium on the amount of time you're spending listening to uh, a particular person. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, everything's available nowadays, and it, it almost creates a an issue. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, it's almost sort of it's like it's like what we're getting into is, uh, mm, uh, it's almost like we're getting into a sensory overload. Because there is so much that you can listen to and you can, you know, and, and then after a while, it's like, I find this happens to me personally, I, I start to feel overwhelmed trying to sort it all out. 
Yeah, and then you can't really just dig in, you know. Yeah, yeah, like, uh, yeah. I think it's good because it puts a lot of music in people's ears. You know, if you have access mm -hmm. to everything from Earl Hines and, and to Horace Silver to uh, like the '80s Wynton Marsalis stuff to mm -hmm. Mark mm -hmm. Turner to Aaron Parks, you can match a lot of your moods and demeanor, and just really keep some some great improvisational music in your ear you know all the time mm -hmm. so it's kind of it's good in that way yeah um, but i think sometimes man just sitting in a record and extracting everything you can get there's so much information just in one record mm-hmm mm -hmm. yeah uh, you know that's what i would you know I, I i would teach my students uh because most of the students i was dealing with in my uh a preach class were not really knowledgeable much at all about jazz mm. and so that's mostly what i would try to teach them was how not who to listen to but how to listen one of the things i used to do i would take like the the jamie ebersold cds yeah. where you can isolate like the piano and and drums yeah. on one track and the bass and the other part of the drum set on the other and I would isolate those and I say, okay, now this is what you want to listen for. Listen to how the bass is keeping time and how the hi-hat is interacting with the bass. And then I'd switch it over and listen to how the pianist is comping and, and you know, try to get them about how to listen. And then, uh, and then on top of that, then adding, uh, you know, whatever uh, melodic or solo lines are going, you know, because there is so much that you can just, you can really dig out that, uh, you, you you can't uh you know you can't just do a surface listen no no you know? and uh and it's always interesting to me well the other thing that the big question that i would always have students ask me is like well when you're listening to a jazz musician improvise how do you know whether it's any good or not you know whether the improvisation they're creating is any good and i'd say well part of it is you'll feel it you'll feel it in your in your heart i said but it's sort of like uh, when somebody tells a really good joke, a good joke has two, two major components. One is the setup and then the, the, the twist. Uh, and I would say musicians kind of do the same thing. We might play along even when we're improvising with material that might be somewhat familiar and then take a little turn. And when you take that turn and it all works out, that's a very satisfying listening experience. I said, that's what you want to listen for is, uh, is listen to uh, how the, the uh, musician uses their artistic uh, wit, if you will, to create, create a new way of expressing uh, within the context of that tune. So yeah. Expectation and surprise. That's it. You took the words so, right out of my mouth. So yeah. I think that's, Great. I think one of the hard parts about that is uh, society moves so fast nowadays mm -hmm. and there's a lot going on and there's a lot that we just need to do. And, uh, you know, our attention is often drawn to many places and it's very difficult to even get to that level of assess assessment because that's a very high level of assessment, you know, to even understand the language like you understand it is it's a very high level um especially relative to uh how much jazz is in our uh how much jazz is just on our 
you know, social continuum nowadays. You know, it's mm -hmm. not a lot, you know, our social consciousness, um, collective social consciousness. So with that being said, man, um, I, I always encourage my students to start with the greats. Mm -hmm. You know, whoever it is, Coltrane, Miles, whatever, and to sit down with it and to ask yourself, there's something beauteous about beauteous about this. What is it? Mm -hmm. What do I find beauteous about this music? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because initially, when you turn it on, you're just hearing notes, and you're just like, "All right, it sounds good. It sounds old timey. It sounds fine. It sounds okay. Mm -hmm. They sound fine." But, but you know, sit down and ask yourself, "Okay, these people are celebrated. Mm -hmm. Why? Why, with the ears that I have now, can I find some celebration or some reason to celebrate these people?" or this music, or this song, or this tradition, mm -hmm. and just listen, mm -hmm. and ask questions, you know, ask your teacher questions, like, mm -hmm. man, you know, I never really realized it, but Coltrane has this round, full sound, you know, I'm just speaking like maybe a student would or something, you know, mm -hmm. round, full sound, and wow, like, it just, it almost feels like he's talking sometimes, mm -hmm. like, Wow, I've listened to all these other trumpet players before Miles, and no one really actually played like him. You know, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. all these things. And at every level, you can always come back to that. Why is this beauteous? You know? Mm -hmm. And I think that's a good start to get to that point where then you can understand the language and understand expectation and surprise, because then mm -hmm. you have uh, some reasonable expectation. <laughs> And then you are tuned into what what surprises are happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think that's excellent advice. You you have to have a, you know, you you've got to have some baseline data that when then then by which then you can measure kind of everything else that you, you go along with. And you have to practice being present. Yeah, no one's no one's really present nowadays. So much. Uh, I mean, of course, like all the social factors I mentioned before, the world's moving faster, work, da-da-da, yada yada. But also, um, I mean, look at how much anxiety and depression is around us. And of course, these mm -hmm. things come from everything from potentially, you know, I'm, I'm not a uh, I'm not a specialist, obviously. I'm just a jazz musician. Uh, but obviously things are spurred on by, you know, uh, everything from chemical imbalances to childhood and all these kinds of things that I know nothing about, you know. Mm -hmm. But I know one thing that is particularly joyful and I know one thing that uh, can help our human experience uh, is just to be present. Mm -hmm. it's just My, to sit down yeah. and, and be present in your body and be present in the room and be present in the experience. Mm -hmm. And I think training yourself to listen this way and ask yourself, okay, what's beautiful about this? Yeah allows people to be present and I was doing that just outside the other day I was just sitting outside and I was like look at all this old architecture that's, that's around me mm -hmm. thinking about all the policies and grassroots movements and things that went right things that went wrong and all the study with architects and and the lives that were even lost to begin to build large buildings and 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 certainly uh you know the architecture style and, and finishings on some of these buildings and everything from like light fixtures and all these things that are, I'm like man there's so much uh information and so many lives and so much dedication has gone into all of these bricks that I see laid around yeah and you I just and kind I of very, you know it sounds like you and I are very much of like mind when it comes to some things I 
I like you, I, I can be, uh, let's say downtown and I'll just take time to look at and experience, you know, whether it's the architecture or the signage or whatever I see around me. And maybe a lot of what you're getting at it too, is just greater awareness of, um, you know, by focusing and on the present instead of, instead of your mind wander, you know, be worrying about the future, what is it, which is, isn't even here or, or feeling crappy over something that happened in the past, which is yeah. dead and gone. Rumination. Yes. And just being in the present and, and, and being very conscious and very awake about what's, what's going on right now. Be yeah, here now. So and there's yeah. so much joy in that, especially, you know, there's, there's a lot of pain in it too, you know, just oh, to, yeah. to understand where your where your body's at, um, and just what's happening. You just you're you're in a a flow, so to speak. If I'm going to put more informal language on it, like based on how it feels for me, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's just so much to that. And I think that's really, I think that's a really great experience. Like to just you know, sit. and it takes some effort. I think it takes some it takes some effort to make that happen. Because you do have to fight the te- our n- normal tendency to be easily distracted, yeah. you know, and so you have to work it at focus. But it's so worthwhile the effort, what you benefit from it. So yeah, it's 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 a it's a practice because the world's pulling you in the opposite direction. Yeah, so, yeah, I agree. I agree. I think, and I think music's an excellent uh, resource to, to put your focus. Exactly. Because there's exactly. so there's so much there that you can gain. Yes, especially yeah. jazz because you have all the, the interplay and the spontaneous creation happening and it's just like yes just, well yeah. and that's and that's you know and that kind of leads into a, the the next question i was going to ask you is that you know jazz as a musical style comes in lots and lots of different flavors mm-hmm. and uh but regardless of the flavor that jazz comes in across all of its various how uh, what is really at the essence of jazz i think you may have already just said it uh, you know, the creativity, the the improvisation and so forth. But what is it, the essence of jazz across all its various flavors and how is jazz different from other styles of music? What is it, the essence of jazz? I'm not sure if I'm, uh, I'm not sure if I'm able to answer that. Okay. I'm not sure if I'm able to answer that. I can tell you a lot of things that, a lot of tendencies in jazz Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm not sure if I'm able to answer um, what's at the essence of jazz. Okay. Because then that puts this thing that doesn't belong in a box in, in this really neat box. And I'm not sure if it's just my own personal ignorance. Of course, there's something different about jazz and rock and roll. So there's something that, you know, there are elements that make it up. Mm-hmm. That's right. And there are tendencies that happen and there are tendencies that don't happen. Mm-hmm. But, um, I think it's going to be very different for everyone, but I okay. think there are some tendencies like the blues, like the rural experience. Uh, like this combination of struggle that has happened for African-Americans um, mm-hmm. and this melting pot that happened in New Orleans, right? Mm-hmm. You have Africans who are, used to dealing with more than a 12-tone system mm-hmm. trying to break out of that 12-tone system 
unintentionally and intentionally. It's almost, it's genius. It is genius. Um, where you get this rural sound that's this combination. It's like, oh, we're working within the 12-tone system, but we're also breaking out of it constantly. Mm -hmm. You know, my, who I am on the inside is constantly breaking out, but I'm still working within this framework and this melting pot, you know? Same with the rhythm. And of course, we know all about New Orleans with French music and Spanish music and all of these things. You know, Jelly Roll Morton talks about the Spanish tinge way better than I ever could. So, you know, that's those Library of Congress Jelly Roll Morton recordings are fantastic. Mm -hmm. With that being said, yeah, all I, all I would personally do right now, 2023, is talk about tendencies. However, uh, 10 years from now, I might change everything and say, well, this is what jazz is and this is what jazz is. Yeah, yeah. And this is the law, you know, but right now I just, I have, I, I'm not right. a what's the second question well i i was gonna you effectively answered it because i was gonna ask you what makes jazz different from other styles of music and i think john that you are not unlike most everyone else i've ever interviewed that was a jazz musician and that is uh, not wanting to put jazz into a box and, yes. I, and, and I and I and I I tend to try to see it that way myself, simply because I think jazz has always been a music that has absorbed everything around it. And, you know, I used to I would tell my students, you know, like jazz is a big sponge and it just soaks up everything around it. And then when you squeeze the sponge, something new and different comes out. Potentially. You know? And I, and uh, I think it's very hard to keep creating something new in jazz. I think that's the hardest thing. Yeah. You know, I think I think you can have a great level of uh, personal expression and a combination of of factors that have uh, existed before you and a combination of creativity. But I think I think it's a very very difficult art form in 2023. It's different in 1944. That's but true. 2023, I think it's a very, very difficult art form to create something novel in. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think regardless, it could still be highly personal and highly expressive because you are a combination of, you know, your own individual likes. So your swing is going to sound mm -hmm. like you. And your decisions are going to sound like you. Well, there's there's a certain I, I kind of I'm really intrigued by your answer. And it made me think back to a singer. And I can't remember which one now because I've interviewed a number of singers. And one of the things I really admired about her work was how she sang standards. Now, we're talking a young, a younger singer. Uh, and uh, in New and, York. Or... Oh, I, either I, if it's if it's Haley Brunell that I'm thinking of, she's in I think she's in Philly. I don't know. But I uh, I know I've inter interviewed uh, anyway. Uh, uh, and I said to I said, how is it that you can take a song that's been around longer than you've been alive and you can make it sound fresh and you can make it sound different and you can put a really unique spin on it? And I think that uh, uh, I, I don't even really recall her exact answer, but I think what it really essentially came out was, well, because it's me that's doing it. It's yeah. me. It's my personality, my musical personality, my, you know, and I'm, I'm looking for uh, ways to express what's in the lyrics, you know, and really try to dig out some meaning from the lyrics and, and it enhance that emotional aspect with what I do with 
pitch and phrasing and and uh, accent, things like that. And so, you know, even as instrumentalists, I think there's probably, uh, you know, we're still working with the same 12 notes. We're still working with, you know, basically similar rhythms. But I think you're on to it when you say that there's still some unique forms of expression because every human being can express even the same line differently. Yeah, I think uh, maybe a unique combination or personalized combination. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I would probably say it. Yeah. And I think, too, that, you know, in our subconscious minds, there's 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 got to be rattling around uh, just some new or some may even say quirky ideas about how to, uh, you know, play a particular line. I mean, I'll give you one example. Last last week I was rehearsing with with one of my groups and we were doing a, a Maple Leaf rag. Except we weren't playing it like a rag at all. We were using the basic melody chords and so forth. I said, but, but let's, let's really mess around with it. Let's see what we can, we can, you know, do. And I got this kind of quirky idea and I started interpreting the line I was playing a certain way. And, you know, it may never go, it may never play in Peoria. It may never be a hit song, but (laughs) it was something different and new anyway. Mm. Yeah. Well, anyways. Well, uh, I, you know, I, I, I want to go back this idea of, you know, Louis Armstrong hit it right on the head, you know, when, when he was asked, what is jazz? And his response, of course, was, if you have to ask, you'll never know. And, uh, and, and he also used to say, you know, there's only two kinds of music. There's good and there's bad. And good music's anything you can pat your foot to. So, you know, I guess if it makes you feel good, it's good music. And and trying to put labels on it, whether it's jazz, country, pop, soul, whatever. I, I, I think sometimes those are because the record companies like to track their sales. But yeah, well, some things were created in that way. Some things I think it's worth having nomenclature on. Mm-hmm. Nothing else to talk about it and to deal with it. Um yeah, I, I don't. I don't think nomenclature is the worst thing. Uh, but yeah, certainly some of the nomenclature that's been created has been created by record companies, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, now that we've been very successful at not defining what jazz is, of course. Talk to me about what is the major challenge of being a jazz artist in the twenty first century. the major challenge mm-hmm. problem is the problem is the article you used <laughs> okay a, a major challenge right, i can the, give you all a right, million, all right so but the major challenge is pretty tough I, okay well let me, let me change that make it easier then let's say let's let's under let's operate under the assumption that there are a number of challenges of yeah. uh, uh, being a jazz artist in the 21st century talk talk about a few of the challenges that you think are out there or that there are there for you yeah, that's the thing. Everything's relative, you know, like if someone's parents have a million bucks, my challenges uh, will not be their challenges, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so everyone has different ones. 
Um, I think for me, this is, it comes down to this music. Like, what is it uh, supposed to be for you? Or what is your purpose in it, right? So to me, it's very social music. Mm -hmm. um, and that's the term John Baptiste. I'm not sure if he still uses it, but he used to use that when referring to his music. He called it social music. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so for me, the biggest thing is understanding how we've abandoned certain forms of uh, certain ways of playing this music that mm -hmm. has obscured uh, its value. Mm -hmm. Why isn't this as infectious as it used to be? Mm -hmm. And 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 you know, I'll, I'll hear music, and sometimes it's very rare, but I'll go out and I'll hear something that literally just grab. I could be it. It could be. 2 a.m. and I'm just heading in a bar just to get a drink, you know, a bar with live music or something like that. Or, and I'll just be arrested by whatever the music the musicians are playing. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, man, I really want that to happen more. And I want to have that affect myself personally mm -hmm. as often mm -hmm. as I can. So what's mm -hmm. stopping me from doing that more often? Mm -hmm. That's the first question or that's the first problem I personally face. Because once again, to me, like all the, I mean, we can talk about career stuff and marketing and, all, you know, we know how that goes, right? Sure, sure. Talk about the small percentage jazz has as far as uh, listening audiences and uh, how hard it is to tour. And it's very expensive, which is a whole, that's a new can of worm. That's a post-COVID kind of can, can of mm -hmm. worm. There are all these things we're facing, right? But to me, at its essence, this is deeply spiritual, spiritual music. This is deeply social music. Mm-hmm. And this is deeply insightful music. So that's what I'm going to look at first and foremost for my own music. Okay. And, and I think uh, academia and institutions have obscured things a bit. So it's mm -hmm. a matter of getting back to this, this insanely valuable purpose. You know, you make a really excellent point. And as an academician, I'm going to have to just take a step back a moment and and kind of think, kind of engage in a little metacognition here about how I have thought about jazz as a music. And I think maybe you're onto something that maybe, you know, there was a there was a no, well, I mean, there was a time period when uh in the, you know, after World War II, particularly, uh, and into the 50s, when, you know, it's like uh there was uh, a very ag much an academic interest in jazz, and there were all kinds of, of um, you know, in the in the in colleges and universities starting to really you know study and have an interest, and it's almost like we we um, almost made it medicinal, uh, or uh, removed it from. No, here's what I'm going to say: we almost ripped its soul out. Because we got to where we were analyzing it, picking it apart, dissecting it. You know what I'm saying? Instead of just living with it. I know what you're saying. I do disagree. Well, that's okay. I think uh, I think there wasn't, I think the analyzing was very minimal and very superficial. Okay. And I think that's where a lot of problems lie. I mean... Yeah, there wasn't enough emphasis on just uh, really what deep listening is and, and 
getting into records because you can't sell that to a college and get a, you can get accreditation. Mm-hmm. Among other reasons, I'm sure, uh, you know, winning competitions and people writing books and all these things, I, I, you know, I'm, there's a lot that's gone into it, you know, the, mm-hmm. the inception of jazz academia. But um, it preserved it. So I'm grateful, you know, it, it preserved jazz for, you know, many decades and it still exists today all around the country. It's how I got into the music and maybe I would have gotten to another wave, you know, that didn't exist. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, but certainly it's around today and they exist in that space. So, uh, you know, that's what it is. But with that being said, yeah, I don't think we dissected it well enough. I think there was a, this huge emphasis on consonants and harmony. Mm-hmm. And that's really, and mind you, like those are, I mean, we didn't even dissect those well, you know, harmony and, and all these kinds of things, but we just boiled down to score. Uh, chord wow what is this word <laughs> combine them I, I, I look at me doing doing what i talked about i'm just like you know yeah, meshing yeah, yeah. together that but we, we we've uh are not we but uh you know these institutions has uh they've simplified it to uh chord scale relations mm-hmm. yeah yeah this really consonant, uh, simple sound, or something like this. It, it's it, it was it was very poor analyzing. And then maybe the you know the blues scale or the blues aesthetic, and not even just like getting down to what that means, and like mm-hmm. listening to John John and Alan Lomax. Really, I mean, we owe them their flowers. They they preserve so many Delta blues recordings and like mm-hmm. what that aesthetic was, and that's the closest thing we have. To, mm-hmm. the, to an expansive library of like what was really going on at that time and that there's so many of those you know skip james or, or robert johnson or whoever you know mm-hmm. this is the closest thing we're going to get to the inception <laughs> what mm-hmm. was happening with seal holler and work songs and all these things even negro spirituals have been preserved a different way but just because of uh uh what's that university fisk university you know mm-hmm. how they preserve uh, Negro spirituals and turn them into arrangements and things. That was really kind of the inception of writing those down and preserving those besides in an oral tradition. Mm-hmm. You know, that's kind of because it was preserved in that way. That's kind of how those things have now sat for, you know, well over 100 years. Mm-hmm. So it's tough to get to the source, right? And Jazz mm-hmm. Academia doesn't even attempt to do that, mm-hmm. except for an, an antidote in a music history class. Right. Which isn't. Well, yeah, I think, I think, uh, I think uh, you're, you know, you're onto something, you know, it's like, uh, maybe because we are trying to, we're, we're so busy analyzing the trees that we forget to just enjoy the forest. We forget to analyze, uh, we forget to, we, we're so busy looking at a tree. Yeah. And maybe sometimes analyzing a leaf, we don't analyze the fruit the branches, the bark, the, 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 the roots, you know, we don't then take the leaf. We take the leaf and say, Oh, look, here's a lick Charlie Parker played, or look, he outlined a seventh chord or played something that we're going to call the bebop scale, but you don't take that leaf and then take it to a lab and then say, okay, what's going on? Well, how does photosynthesis work? Mm-hmm. You know, how does chlorophyll work? You know, like how do these things actually function? And that's what I'm saying. Like we don't even look at rhythm on the, the micro level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Looking at a macro, we think about phrasing. Okay, well, how is his eighth note? Yeah. 
because yeah. you can play, and I'm not sure if it's going to come through the recording, but you can play, you know, which is different than, you know, mm -hmm. so even I'm playing normal language, you know, I could play hard. Mm -hmm. You know, whatever. Right. It's kind of noodling. You know, I wouldn't put that language on a, on a solo. I'm just kind of keeping it in the jazz academia language. Sure, know? sure. But I'm trying sure. to take that language and say, well, even if you're going to play things like this, which I don't advise, there's, there's different ways to look at this. You know, there's a macro level of rhythm. How, does, how, how is someone's eighth note being articulated? Uh, how did they change it? Wynton Kelly had a beautiful variety of eighth notes. Mm hmm. Okay. So yeah, we don't do that. We just say, okay, rhythm is just, uh, you know, some phrases. Right. Oh, that's rhythm. It's what we can write down Western notation. You can't write down someone's eighth note with Western notation. It's just between half the times it's between an eighth note and a triplet, and it's not yep. falling up downbeat sometimes. You can't write that down. So yeah. we, we manage that. It's very poor, anal it's very poor analytical skills. It's terrible. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, so there's there's uh, many different ways that we can uh, continue to look at the music and and uh, enjoy the music. But I think uh, what you're I I hear you nailing on the head is is listening, active, in the now, deep listening to things and analysis. If you're a student, yeah, 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 and and you've got to really 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 sit with it and get deeper than that was a nice phrase or that was a nice lick you got to sit there and deconstruct everything well it kind of reminds me sometimes like when i used to also would i when i teach music preach and i'd play uh like a chopin uh, etude for example for the yeah. class and yeah. i wouldn't ask them you know what key is this in or what tempo or anything like that my first question would be was what kind of day was chopin having when he wrote this what do you think he was thinking about? You know, did he did he just have a a fight with his significant other? Did he have uh, was he was it a rainy day? Was he depressed? Was he happy? What you know, whatever. And maybe that's the kind of kind of question we need to also ask when we listen to uh, uh, jazz musicians. You know, when they're improvising or when they're playing. Maybe not necessarily just improvising, but when they're playing and and uh, you know what. Uh, what's on their mind? What what was what was in their heart? What was what were they thinking, or how were they feeling? Yeah, uh, but to do that you need a fair amount of study. You need to mm -hmm. read, and, and there's so many resources available. Books are cheap. Mm -hmm. Libraries are closing, so go support your library. Well, they're not closing, but you know, uh, libraries are. Uh, my mom's a librarian, mm -hmm. and library libraries could certainly use good metrics. So go to a library, and then also you know, go mm -hmm. go to a local bookstore and and buy a book, but also. There's so many documentaries that are on YouTube oh, yeah. and Netflix and just like there's so much information because these people were going through really insane um, mm -hmm. living circumstances. And we can imagine it, but we can understand it potentially if we activate our feelings and also study, mm -hmm. study deeply. I'm all about I, I don't know if you can tell I'm all about deep study, like as sure. much as I think the world is like kind of backwards. <laughs> so I'm all about like deep studying and, and just kind of figuring out what we can. So whether that's about jazz or whether that's about being present or whether that's about uh, 
you know, whatever it is, harmony. No, I, I am with you. I, I believe there is value in uh, meditation on whether something I listen to or something I read. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's exactly. like, it's like you can, it, it's like, you know, like you can take a passage of scripture and you can, you can take it for what it says on the surface, or if you really meditate on it, you might come to find some other deeper meaning for yourself. Yeah. You know, and not necessarily scripture it could be any, any, uh, uh, you know, book or, or, uh, you know, particular, uh, uh, passage you might read. I mean, uh, it's like, there's this Japanese author who I, whose novels I've read and there's a line in one of his books. I don't even remember which book it is now, but, uh, he's talking about breaking up with his girlfriend and he says, life without you will be like Bobby Darren's greatest hits without Mac the knife. <laughs> and so I, you know, I kind of remember thinking about that. And I was thinking about Bobby Darren and, you know, all the hit songs he had. And yet Mac the knife was, was one that, uh, you know, certainly was key. And, and I can see where the author was, was getting at, but I think musically speaking, uh, whether we're listening to uh, uh, Dexter Gordon or we're listening to Gustav Mahler or Bach or or whoever, uh, you know, taking time to think about what was inspiring them or uh, motivating them to to uh, write what they wrote and and interpreting it and so forth, I think is uh, valuable. I think we can agree on that. Yes. All right. <laughs> there you go. Yes. Okay. Well, now that we're at a nice point of agreement, I want to shift gears because I want to yeah. talk about your creativity. And mm -hmm. if you would take a few moments to talk about your various approaches to the elements of music as a jazz performer and composer and how you use them to create different colors and forms of musical expression. Yeah. When you play. I'm not sure if I, I think of a, I don't think there's a degree of separation in my mind when I, when I hear a jazz performance and, and composer. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, okay. to me, to me, if you're performing correctly, you're thinking like, uh, especially the piano, but any instrument, you're thinking like a composer. Mm -hmm. Well, okay. Then uh, what I would say is uh, extemporaneous composing. No, I understand. Yeah, yeah, but that but I'm saying that I wasn't uh me attempting to throw the question back. That was me. That was my answer. Oh, I see. Okay. Okay. There's no degree of separation as a performer. Okay. You should be thinking like a composer. Okay. It opens up your ears cuz then instead of worrying about your instrument or that phrase you messed up or what, you know, or like how you want to play this color and you've been working on this, now you're hearing the melody. Mhm. Mm hearing the bass line mm -hmm. you're, hearing you're hearing uh the overall the overall arc of the song the end of your solo isn't the end of, isn't the end of the song you know mm -hmm. you're thinking okay there's a solo after this how are we mm -hmm. connecting this whole thing mm -hmm. what kind of, what kind of uh, story are we telling what what tools are we using to tell the story mm -hmm. you're thinking like a composer Wow, we've been playing at Fortissimo for the last five minutes. Is that what I want this part of this composition to be, this musical offering to be? Mm -hmm. As a performer, 
I'm trying to get more into, and this is something that's very new for me. So I don't mean to sound, uh, uh, you know, self-aggrandizing or some like I have some answers. These are, I'm just talking about stuff that I'm dealing with mm-hmm. today. <laughs> I got, no, I agree. If you ask me these questions, you know, a month I'm from with now, you. or if you ask me these questions a week ago, I would have give you a whole different answer. Oh, I understand. I understand. Um, we're all we're all growth. We're all growth mindset people. Exactly. Exactly. And to to deal with any art, you kind of you have you want to. Ideally, you're still in this form of curiosity, so you're constantly mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. with new ideas and you're exploring new ideas. So right now, that's how I'm thinking as a performer. It's just like, especially as a pianist, where you have so many colors, eighty mm-hmm. keys, too many. You know. <laughs> it's just way too many keys you know sure. uh, you so got 80, just, 88 of them 88 and then 10 fingers and then yeah. if, you're, if you're playing in the right place then you got your foot yeah <laughs> two feet i guess you got one in the pedal and with three pedals and then you got your other foot stomping off something and sure, you sure. Know, it's just too many options so yeah okay. uh, really helpful for me to uh start to think about composition because then it opens up my ears it gets me out of dealing with that that asshole of an instrument i don't know if you have to bleep that out sorry i'm not sure no, that's okay um but uh yeah it gets me out of dealing with all these kinds of things and uh all right and then i can also hear the band so that's how i think as a performer okay as a uh, composer okay but uh do you write i do write okay well what typically motivates you to write deadline like duke. a deadline yeah okay I've just heard like that. Duke. i've heard that before just like duke that's the main thing man. okay i, mean, I got you, you know that's that's probably number one um number two uh if i've created some form of uh, stillness in my life i can usually get more writing out okay but uh writing i mean you know your your cat you know you, it's a deeply personal process and it's just got to flow you know mm-hmm. and if you've got all this stuff built up in your brain and in your body you just can't get into that point where you've act con- connected to the subconscious to the conscious and you can just go yeah you know that's what it's all about and you need sure. to you need to you have a good space for that that's why all those writers retreats and things like that they, they actually are really good i haven't taken i haven't been to any so i'm just guessing but sure I'm just- sure well, it's a, you know, and everybody's different too, uh, in terms of when their muse decides to spew, you know, you, yeah. you, 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 some people are, uh, uh, very, uh, you know, every day I write something and then, uh, I keep what's good and throw away what's not some it's, I wait for the, uh, the, uh, motivation to hit me and away I go because it's all there. I just have to, you know, take it down. Yeah. Um, well, then I know you have uh, do some teaching and uh, I have many listeners on my show or younger listeners. What advice would you have for people who are aspiring toward a career in music? Very easy. I mean, honestly, it's, it's advice I would give anyone in life. And I think it's personally right now, once again, next month, I don't know. Right now, it's the most important thing to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's staying uh, when it comes to work or when it comes to a career, passion, whatever you call it. And that's staying curious. That is the biggest, most important aspect uh, of a career, of an art, of a passion. You gotta okay. stay curious. Sometimes it means going back to that place where you first fell in love. Sometimes it means uh, finding new things to love. Sometimes it means just sitting with it. Sometimes it means taking a quick break. But whatever it is, it's, it's like dating someone, but you have to stay curious. You cannot outwork ethic, curiosity. Okay. 
one thing I learned when I went to Juilliard. I went to Juilliard and I had a great work ethic, but people there were in love. <laughs> I can't make a better relation. You know, I got my butt kicked, you know, in that environment because I was like, oh my, these people know every date on every record and remember every uh, uh, birth year of every single musician that they really are in love with and they, they know all these history and they just read all these books and I was just checking boxes. I was like, Oh man, I need to I need to learn this. I haven't checked out this period of Herbie's music. Let me check this out so I can now play this on gigs. And oh well, I haven't played this kind of piano, so let me check this out so I have this technical thing down. I mm -hmm. very quickly, within two weeks, I was like, oh wow, these people are in love, and I need to be in love. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think once you you know you get that love your curiosity and your desire to learn more about it's going to go right along with it. Exactly. I think, I, I think when you become jaded or you think, you know, everything, that's when the love starts to fade. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think it happened. I'm not even, I think those are like some of the reasons I think there's a yeah. building, you know, like you could have economic incentive to just focus on certain things. Right. Right. You could say, I need to check boxes because I need to pay rent. Or you could say, okay, well, you know, it's just like love. You get used to something and mm -hmm. it's always there. And then you stop thinking about it. And then it's just something you do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But at the end of the day, staying deeply curious about things, I think it promotes the highest level of learning and the highest level of passion. And uh, you'll get some really incredible analytics out of it. And you'll get some really incredible joy out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's fun. excellent advice. Yeah, yeah, same thing. Yeah, that's great. Well, John, if I were to come to New York in the next few weeks, might where might I be able to hear you play? Next few weeks. Uh, that's pretty tough. I'm going out to play with a fantastic trumpet player named Dominic Farinacci second week in May, and then I'm going on tour with the woman named Robin McKell uh, for a couple weeks in May. So prior to that, some some oh i'm playing with a lot of friends i'm very excited about it. i'm playing at a, a traditional jazz uh they have a traditional jazz night at this bar called mona's it's a really cool kind of tucked in spot it's probably i hang out there all the time it's one of my favorite places in new york city it's an alphabet city so we know charlie parker stayed down the street from the spot you mm -hmm, know mm -hmm. there was a whole scene going on in alphabet city a whole artist scene uh and they've kept a lot of that charm and there's a lot of residents that are still uh around so yeah i hang out with mona's uh i think i've got some Things happening. I just played a run bar last night. I think I may have okay. thing there. And then, you know, always Smalls and Mesro. <laughs> you know, I, mm -hmm. stuff that just normally comes up like that, you know. Okay. Okay. Yeah, kind of the the uh, the usual suspects, so to speak. Usual suspects. Yes. Just throw a rock at a bar in, in New York City at 1030, and uh, there's a 50% chance that you'll hit me. Okay. But Mona's, I'll have to uh, check that place out. I've never heard of it. And they do a trad jazz thing there? Yeah, it's a trad jazz thing. And they live stream it. So check out a oh. page on, on Facebook. They live stream it to Facebook and maybe even YouTube. Okay, I'll, I'll, I will do that. Because yeah, yeah. I love trad jazz, too. I've got a, I've got a trad jazz group. And, uh, yeah, I think yeah. you're talking about a maple leaf rag. Uh-huh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I love playing King Oliver and General Martin and... Freddie Keppard and all that, yeah, all that good stuff. I love, I love that stuff, and I love yeah. keeping it alive. So, that's that's great. Well, uh, um, the other thing I was going to ask you about is, do you have any uh, any new recording projects? 
planned or in the works? Yeah, a lot of recordings that still have to come out. Uh, I just did a recording with someone named Ricky Alexander, and that's it's kind of mainly early jazz. So I think you'll really dig it. You know, Ricky. Okay. Uh, I mean, not kind of. He is an incredible uh, saxophonist, and he's kind of a big staple in the uh, the the traditional scene and early mm -hmm. jazz out here. So we just did. I just did a record with him. Um, I have another recording session coming out with uh, Al Vilner, uh, who's also a big in the swing, uh, Mindy scene. You know, he plays a lot of those kinds of things. We play a lot of triad stuff, a lot of big band stuff. Uh, and hopefully by the end of this year, I'll have my uh, freshman record uh, recorded. So maybe that'll come out. Oh, good. What, which label are you going to release it on? I haven't figured that out yet, man. I'm okay. still, I've gotten the music and I've gotten the personnel. So now I'm just figuring out all these. The, now I'm going to do the hard work. The easy stuff is done. <laughs> okay. All right. So, yeah. Well, that's, uh, that's great. We'll be, I'll be looking forward to your first, uh, your first uh recording under your name that'll be good that'll be awesome man i appreciate that man. yeah well that's great well um john i know we've been talking here for about an hour and oh, wow. uh, i always like to try to be complete i know i don't always ask everything so i'm going to ask you is there anything else you would like to add or tell my audience that i haven't asked you about no they already know too much. <laughs> they already know too much. <laughs> well, I'm giving, them, too I'm giving them everything I need. You know, now they're going to extrapolate. Oh, yeah, John. Oh, yeah, God. yeah. This they guy. might. That might. That might be my case too. Sometimes people hear more about me than they really need to. I guess, but no, it's been it's great. And John, I want to thank you for taking time to talk with me today because oh, uh, I, I know it's uh can be a busy time for 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 someone like yourself and i want to wish you with uh what i'm sure will be i want to wish you all the best and wish you what i'm sure will be a continued successful musical future thank you friend same to you same to you you bet, you bet. I appreciate this. thank you for having me man thank you for reaching out like this is it's been fun well it's nice I've, to throw out I, some of these ideas and just actually get it out beyond uh you know, talking to my uh, my roommate who doesn't play music and my uh, my mom. <laughs> well, <there laughs> like, you okay, go. John, sure. Play the blues, yeah. have fun. <laughs> yeah, there you go. All right. Well, you take care and have a great rest of your day. All right. You too. Great. All right, man. Bye. My discovery composer of the week is Gabriella Smith. Composer Gabriella Smith grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area, playing and writing music hiking, backpacking, and volunteering on a songbird research project in Point Reyes. Whether for orchestras, chamber ensembles, voices, or electronics, Gabriela's music comes from a love of play, exploring new sounds on instruments, building compelling musical arcs, and connecting listeners with the natural world in an invitation to find joy in climate action. Many of Gabriella's works address the climate crisis and participation in climate solutions. In response to the biodiversity crisis, Gabriella's Requiem is a 25-minute work for eight singers and string quartet written for Roomful of Teeth and Dover Quartet and commissioned by Bravo Vale in 2018. 
Instead of the traditional Requiem text, the text of Gabriella's Requiem is a list of the scientific, or Latin, names of all the species that have become extinct in the last 100 years. Gabriella's first full-length album, Lost Coast, deals with the grief, loss, rage, and fear experienced as a result of climate change, as well as the exhilaration, beauty, and wonder she has felt in the world's last wild places and the joy and hope in getting to work on climate solutions. Originally conceived as a cello concerto, Lost Coast was written for and recorded with cellist Gabriel Cabezas, violist producer Nadia Sorota, Gabriela singing, and all three of them playing found object percussion. Lost Coast was recorded at Greenhouse Studios in Iceland and released on Bedroom Community. The album was named one of NPR Music's 26 Favorite Albums of 2021 so far and a classical album to hear right now by the New York Times. Gabriela has also written many works inspired by field recordings she has made of terrestrial and underwater soundscapes, including the sound of dawn choruses, trees, cacti, tide pools, and coral reefs. In February 2023, Delirium Musician premiered Gabriella's work, Desert Ecology, for strings and field recordings of Mojave Desert Flora and Fauna, including Joshua trees, barrel cacti, yucca, shola, juniper, coyotes, pelas, and more. The piece is one of three works commissioned by the Soraya for their project, Treeology, inspired by the three species of iconic California trees most affected by the recent wildfires. Much of Gabriela's upcoming work is dedicated to climate solutions through a number of exciting initiatives currently in development. Described as high voltage and widely, wildly excuse me, imaginative, according to the Philadelphia Inquirer. The coolest, most exciting, most inventive new voice I've heard in ages, Musical America, Strangely Ravishing, Van Magazine, and an outright sensation, says the LA Times, Gabriele's music has been performed all over the world by eMusic, the Azuri Quartet, Ataka Quartet, Eighth Blackbird, Blang, bang on a Can All-Stars, Roomful of Teeth, Dover Quartet, Prism Quartet, the L.A. Philharmonic, San Francisco Symphony, Nashville Symphony, Seattle Symphony, Oregon Symphony, and the Cabrillo Festival Orchestra, among others. Recent highlights include the premiere of Gabriela's organ concerto, Breathing Forests, written for James McVinney and the Los Angeles Philharmonic, conducted by Essa Pekka Solonen, and her debut at the Philharmonie de Paris with cellist Gabriel Cabezas, performing music from their album, Lost Coast, along with new works. In May 2023, 
Gabriel will perform a version of Lost Coast for cello and orchestra with the Los Angeles Philharmonic conducted by Gustavo Dudamel. Gabriela's String Quartet, Carrot Revolution, was written for and recorded by the Azuri Quartet on their Grammy-nominated debut album, Blueprint, Blueprinting. Her music has also been recorded by Emusic, Marais, and Tessellations on their album, Ecstatic Science, Matt Heimovitz, Bear, on his album, Primavera One, The Wind, Friction Quartet, Inyo on Rising, Duo Noir, Loop, The Fractal Hold of Rain on Night Triptych, Latitude 49, Number 9 on Wax and Wire, Bang on a Can, All Stars, Panateo on More Field Recordings, and the Prism Quartet, Spring Neap on The Curtis Project. Gabriela has held residencies with the Nashville Symphony, Instituto Sacatar on the island of Itapacarica in Bahia, Brazil, and a Copeland House residency at Aaron Copeland's home in upstate New York. She received her Bachelor's of Music in Composition from the Curtis Institute of Music and later returned to Curtis as an Artist Year fellow, dedicating a citizen artist year of national service in the Philadelphia region. She attended Princeton University for graduate school. Her mentors have included Arkady Serper, John Adams, David Ludwig, Steve Mackey, Dan Truman, and Donatia Dennehy. When not composing, she can be found hiking, backpacking, birding, recording underwater soundscapes with her hydrophone, and volunteering on ecosystem restorations. In recent years, she has lived in France, Norway, and in the United States. She currently lives in Seattle, Washington. The All Music Guide lists seven recordings of Gabriella's chamber music. In my show notes is a link to a YouTube video of a performance of Smith's Carrot Revolution, performed by the Iziri, Iziri Quartet. Well, that wraps episode number 140. My show notes, along with links to artist websites, recording label websites, YouTube videos of artist performances, are all posted on my Facebook page, The Musical Universe of Professor Hurst. Next week, I'll be interviewing New York City-based jazz drummer, composer, and educator Luca Santaniello. Other upcoming interviews include jazz vocalist Tana Alexa, Blues singer-songwriter Andrew Duncanson of the band, the Kilbourne Alley Blues Band, and the Dig Three. Jazz guitarist Nathan Borton and bassist currently touring with Sam Smith, Julia Adamy. So don't touch that dial. If you have questions, comments, or a suggestion of an artist, composer, or musical style for me to consider, you may email me at h-u-r-s-t-c at u-w-m dot e-d-u. 
So, until next time, this is Professor Craig W. Hurst and Carmel the Wonder Dog signing off from the musical universe of Professor Hurst. Have a great day. Oh, thank you.